the Engaged Family Gaming Podcast. My name is Stephen Dutzman, and I am your host. And I am joined this week, as always, by Amanda Farrow, the Princess of Power. How are you? I'm good. I'm pa- I'm pandemic good. Pandemic good. Yes, I like it. I had a We've day adapted. of stimulating conversation, so it was a it was a good day in the pandemic. Good. Well, Linda and I are going to try not to let you down too hard. So, speaking of which. Linda Robel is back. The Mistress of Magnificence, otherwise known as Heck Mom, yeah. has Hello. returned. Yay! So, here's what happened, folks. Simultaneously, board games kind of stopped happening for a while, and Linda got real busy because who knew when you don't work during the summer, you actually get busier. <laughs> Because that's how, teacher li- that's how teacher life is. And uh, so thank you for carving out a little bit of time in your very busy, busy calendar for us. Board games are back. Woo-hoo. And they will be back for the foreseeable future. That's me telling you, Linda. You're on notice every I'm other week. You got to be back with us. Because Amanda and I are great. Well, Amanda's great. I kind of pick up the We're slack. Great. but But you definitely keep us honest with the board game stuff. So... This week, we're going to talk a little bit about what we've been playing, as all three of us have actually played something new. And then we are going to go over the EFG Essential Board Games for Families. So if you remember listening to the podcast a while back, Amanda and I went over the video game lists. That's three lists of 25 games for... Don't mind my son, Jacob dropping a mug like Thor. There are three lists, one for each console. And while we were developing that list, Linda was there and she was like, hey, you know, we should probably do the board game one. And I was like, well, listen, I don't want to put too much pressure on you. But if you could do that, that would be great. And then she proceeded to beat us all to the punch and finish hers and get it basically published before we were done with our with our copy. Amanda was digitally present for this work project. I was. was. This was it was an impressive feat. It was. I thought I moved fast, but Linda moves fast. (laughs) uh, Yes. Thank you. Linda does not play around. So we're going to go over the games that made Linda's cut for the EFG Essential board games for families list. But before we do that, let's talk about our sponsors. We have two. The first one is the Virtual Economy Podcast, the podcast about the way video games are paid for and the business around them. The podcast that this week has zero chill because (laughs) literally... It's the same with last week, too, actually. You guys get no breaks, Linda. So they... So between Epic and Apple and now Microsoft having like a billionaire slap fight and <laughs> oh, oh goodness and it's a lot. You, it's a lot. And Unity going public and rumors of a new Nintendo console and the fact that Gamescom is coming up this week. They oh didn't have to work all that hard to find topics to talk about for their shows. Oh, which is, a plethora of topics. Oh, a plethora. And so that is the virtual economy podcast. The way I like to say it is something that would be a sentence on this show gets an hour of coverage there. And so we're not that verbose <laughs> girl, please. <laughs> um, I, I mean that in the, but I want to be clear. I'm being sassy now, but I mean that as a compliment is that they dig deep 
and dive deep and provide expert analysis and commentary to the business side of video games. So if that sounds interesting to you or if there's something going on that you really just don't understand, like, for example, the Epic versus Apple versus Microsoft billionaire slap fight, which we is a lot. break that down. It is. We've spent two episodes on it so far. We have a third one planned for this week. Wow. And there because will be more. The, because the judge came back with a ruling on the um, the TRO. So, uh, yes, it's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. So that's the Virtual Economy Podcast. You guys are killing it. Super proud of the two of you guys. Thank you. I knew you. that this was in the works for a very long time. And you put out like two to three episodes a week, so you will definitely be catching up with us soon. We're just going to have to hit the races, Linda, and start. you're going to have to start a gardening podcast. Make I'd it listen to that. <laughs> I would listen to a gardening podcast. So, I'm terrible at gardening. Teach me. Okay. Linda is super talented. She'll have to do videos, actually. Uh, so the other sponsor... And this will probably be the last time it's actually sponsored us here. We'll probably go back to one sponsor next week. Uh, I can't afford to pay myself at my marketing fees. Is the World of Warcraft podcast, EFG, LFG, PST. That's myself and my very old friend Dana from way too long ago. We talk about World of Warcraft from a casual perspective. So whether you're a casual fan or a lapsed fan that wants to live vicariously, you can listen to the two of us tell stories, talk about the new expansion, and just get kind of – kind of grimy with it without really getting into the weeds which is kind of fun and we just recorded episode seven last night we talked about the, we talked about the night fey covenant in the upcoming shadowlands expansion Ooh. otherwise known as the hippies and let me tell you uh the hippies are pretty cool that's all i gotta say if you want to okay. know more listen on wednesday which is two days ago because this record it's fine <laughs> Don't worry about so, it. We're time bending now. Yeah, I don't know. I, I'm I am a time mage. But okay. now that we've gotten our we've gotten the sponsorships out of the way, I have one news item that I want to talk about that I did not get a chance to brief either of you about. And it is Dungeons and Dragons related, which is board games. Wizards of the Coast announced the newest book that is coming to the Dungeons and Dragons universe. It will be coming out uh, when it's it will be releasing November seventeenth. Happy birthday to me! It is called Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. Tasha's Cauldron of Everything is a source book that falls along the lines of Xanthar's Guide to Everything and Mordenkainen's Tome of Foes. It's basically here's their here's their shtick. Person from D&D lore, object of thing, right? That's sure. just how they do it. And so this one Here's a, a little little taste of some of the stuff that's in there. More subclasses, including the Artificer, which previously was only in the Eberron campaign setting. So now it's going to be outside of the Eberron campaign setting. That's cool. More character options, new features, traits, etc. The And I'm going to get back to the other character options because there's one very, very spicy one here that I'm very excited about. But uh, the idea of a group patron, which is essentially you can create your, cl- your group and, they, and then you can actually kind Kind of choose a class for your whole party that determines what kind of missions you get and special group powers because perhaps your group patron is a dragon. Your group would do different stuff than if your patron was, say, a mob boss. Right? True. New spells, artifacts, magic tattoos, rule options. Here's the real deal. They're adding in an alternative to player races. Really? What? <laughs> That's so cool. 
See, I thought you knew about this already, Amanda. You were making no, faces at me. You were just excited about new rules. Here's I how they are doing. I was excited about it. new rules. Like that, I haven't heard anything about this. I knew it was coming out, but I didn't know the details. Mm-hmm. So basically, there has been a significant movement through a lot of the more progressive parts of the Dungeons and Dragons fandom mm-hmm. to remove negative stereotyping based on race. For example, they like want orcs. orcs to not be big, dumb, and stupid uh, and brutes, right? They yes. want dark elves to not be canonically evil, right? So those are just two examples. And But there's other stuff that goes throughout all of them, right? They really want race to not be a thing that shows negative stuff. They just want it to just be all the good stuff. Like it's just a thing that happens that mm -hmm. you are born the way you're born and it is neither good nor bad. Correct. They want to make things more interesting. So one of the arguments is, well, the reason that you choose a dwarf over an elf is because dwarves have constitution and whatever, blah, 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 blah. So what they are including is a system that will allow you to have straightforward rules for modifying your traits based on your origin and your history as opposed like your lineage basically as opposed to i am a orc therefore i get plus two strength blah 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 so that Ah. means any race can have any kind of abilities we don't know the specifics there was a number there have been a number of a step above homebrew rules expansions some of them have appeared on the various online tool spaces and you know where you can you know spend a buck and get a, like a chapter of a rule book that kind of thing there have been some of those before and this is going to be the first time that wizards has really kind of put their rubber stamp on it and presented it do we know if it will fully embrace all of those things no but the lineage options are important and so i am very excited uh, also uh tasha is a very important wizard in Dungeons and Dragons history. She's got a bunch of spells named after herself. She is arguably just as important as Mordenkainen and all them. And uh, so she gets her own book. And I think that's cool. Also, those of you listening, this is bad radio. Go Google the cover, the collector's edition art book. The collector's edition for the book is astonishingly beautiful. It's very Mists of Avalon. Interesting. That's a deep cut. That is Amanda, a deep cut. Amanda was like, Steve, how did you know this? And I'll be like, because I owned that book. Also, my wife is very well read. But it, the cover kind of looks like that. It's very, like, white with, like, you know, cool just designs in the background. She's in the front doing super witchy stuff because she is a witch. That's her thing. That's why she has a cauldron. But she's she's rad. So this comes out November 17th. That is an interesting piece of news. And it is pretty exciting. Yeah. Next board game podcast will be able to talk about the next Magic the Gathering expansion because Zendikar is rising. And so we'll talk all about that after July, after uh, September 1st. Sounds now good. let's go around the horn because I just nerded out like on a level that most people weren't ready for. I hinted at a Magic expansion and Linda was like, oh God, Steve, you're not going to do this now. And I'm, I'm I was not- just getting comfortable to sit back and listen. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's the next board game podcast when we can talk about Zendikar Rising. So let's go around the horn, shall we? Sure. Linda, you have been gone the longest. So let's okay. let people hear your voice. <laughs> what game did yes, you please. play? So the game I wanted to talk about is Drop It that is put out by Cosmos. And it is a strategy game. You're nodding your head, Amanda. Have you played this one? I like so- Drop It a lot. It's so, so good. 
so I knew it was strategy and I knew it was, you know, there was more to it than meets the eye, but I was not prepared for the level of complexity in the strategy that you get from it. So Drop It is this neat um, strategy game, but it is a dexterity game too, because what you are doing, you have this narrow column um, and you're dropping different colored pieces. They, they're different colors and there's different shapes. You have circles, you have rhombi, rhombi squares, uh, triangles. And what you're trying to do is there are zones that if your piece is touching the perimeter of this zone that says, you know, no triangles or no whatever, or you can do a shape one or you can do it by color. You get to choose at the beginning. So, or no blues can touch this spot. And if it a blue piece touches it, you don't get points. If two of the same shape are touching, you don't get any points. So it is a lot harder then it looks and because you're dropping it down if it bounces if it ricochets it, it's a matter of where does it stop so there was a lot more to it than i was anticipating and we absolutely loved it we played it a whole bunch and it was one of those it looked like one person was ahead and then all of a sudden the other person like overtook them and it was just there was a lot of back and forth going on throughout this game that kept us on the edge of our seats right to the very end. So, but this is one that I think we're going to be playing a lot more of as we go through because it's so easy to play, but so hard to play well. It is a shockingly enjoyable game. And I played it for the first time at Gen Con last year over at the Cosmos booth. Mm -hmm. And I really liked it. Like I was, I was really prepared to not enjoy myself. I was like, oh, this is like, this feels like it's a little kid's game. Like, this doesn't seem like a game for Manda. No, it's totally a game for Manda. Like, 100% a game for Manda. Right, that's the thing. uh, From the box alone, it's like, oh, this is is a piece of cake. This is a nice light filler game. Oh, I mean, it's light, but it's, there's a lot more to it. And I like that you can have it either be colors on the side that you're omitting or shapes. Like there's, it's yeah. neat. It gives you some options very simply. Yeah, it's great. I I really appreciate the subtle complexity of the game. Absolutely. Now, this is one that I was very glad to add to my collection. Yeah, I'm really glad that you have it because I knew that it was going to go over well, especially with your boys. Yes. We have it here. We like it. Yeah, it is very, very good for no reason. It doesn't look like it should be this much fun. That's really the the thing that surprised me is that it doesn't look like much. It really doesn't. It's colorful and bright. Like you said, it looks too juvenile. It it really does. But it's got a lot more beneath the layers of it. That's Drop It by Cosmos. Amanda, yes. you, on your birthday, you Leo yes. you. Yes, this Leo, you, this lion here. You played Edge of Darkness, I which did. sounds crazy intense, but you told me to chill out because it's not really that intense. Tell me about Edge of isn't. Darkness. Okay, so the conceit of the game is actually, it's actually a narrative game. It has narrative underpinnings. I'm not going to get into what the narrative is because the narrative isn't nearly as important as the gameplay, but essentially you're in a you're in a city and you have to defend the city from monsters. So the setup looks like you have this tower that you need to put tokens into. 
So let me, I'll take you, I'll take you through a quick turn just to, just to tell you what the setup looks like. It's partially a worker placement game. It's partially a card building game, very similar to Mystic Veil because it's by the same designer as Mystic Veil. Um, so you have your, your merchant guild, your color, as it turns out. And at the beginning of the game, you start to build your card and you start to build your cards out for your guild so that you earn money when other players pick up your cards from the table. Again, it's similar to a number of deck building games in that you have to deal with the cards that are out on the table. So you can look through the cards in the street and be like, okay, well, I think I might want that one. And no, I don't really want that one. I'm going to spend a little bit of influence and I'm going to skip that card because that belongs to that belongs to my rival. You know, I don't want to get that. I don't want the green card. I want purple cards. I want my cards. Right. I won't pay him unless it's not necessary. to interrupt. But of course, she wanted the purple cards. Of course. 100 percent. Purple's the best. Purple's the best. Hello. Uh, that wasn't meant Hello. to be an insult. I don't take it as an insult, I promise. So you spend influence, you can skip cards, you place your trained workers, essentially, on the table, and different locations on the table uh, provide different powers or different events, I guess, different activities that you can do. So one of them, you place a couple of dudes there, and you can go attack the monsters. And another one, you place a couple of dudes there and it mitigates damage from the monsters. And another one will allow you to recruit workers at a lower cost and, you know, and so on and so forth. So you're constantly moving workers on and off the table. So it's got that kind of Lords of Waterdeep vibe, which I really like. If, If we're talking about worker placement games that are really strong and super effective, Lords of Waterdeep is probably my favorite. So the only difference between a a game like Edge of Darkness and a game like Dominion, minus the worker placement stuff, is that you're not building a deck per se, because you actually don't keep anything in your personal discard. Everything gets discarded onto the street. And so every time that you are done your turn, everything goes back to the street discard. Additionally, there are opportunity costs that you have to consider for these cards. So if you if you build a card that has too many of the little cube icons on it, those are as many cubes as you have to take from the bag. And those cubes go into this tower and the tower has three different places that the cubes can fall into represented by three different scary monsters. You can go and defeat those monsters if you put your dudes on the right place on the on on the street, um, or they can come and they can smack you for a bunch of damage, depending on how complex your cards are. Because the cards that you're building, you turn them around, and those are the monsters. So the more complex and the more expensive your card is, the scarier the monsters are. <laughs> So by the time you get to the end game, you have to build up a, a ton of either damage resistance by having a bunch of workers on the right location, or you have to make sure that you have a lot of swords so that you can go and like you can do, you know like get swashbuckle with uh, with the various monsters. 
at the end of the game, the, the scoring for the game is really complex because it's it's dependent on like how much influence do you have and how much favor have you earned and how much money do you have and how many workers have you trained and it's it's really complex at the end of the game. But the the ultimate goal of the game is to have the most powerful merchant guild. And it's powerful in a number of different ways. So you choose whatever way is going to be best for you. And then you just go and pursue it. You build those cards to create, you know, the the end game that you want. And you start off with fairly simple locations so that you're not getting overwhelmed. So anyway, it's going to keep getting more complex. We're on... I think scenario three now, I think there's five or six scenarios that we have to go through to really like fully learn the game. So that is the early version of Edge of Darkness. It sounds very complex, but once you sit down at the table, those turns go by really, really fast. And it is so much more intuitive when you have the cards in your hand. It sounds really neat. And the pictures, it's I looked so it up. It's cool. It looks really cool. Yeah, it is really, really cool. I, I love this game. We kickstarted it, and I was, I was obsessed with Mystic Veil because card building is such a weird new thing. And I was like, oh, I like the idea of building cards. That's neat. Mm-hmm. And so Edge of Darkness really does take that to the next level. Um, and then folds in narrative over top of it, which is uh, which is really cool. So yeah, I had a great time playing Edge of Darkness. I'm I'm going to play it for a third time this weekend, I think. Awesome! Sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, absolutely. As soon as we are not dealing with the pandemic anymore, my house will be Board Game Central. Yay! And you guys absolutely. can come for a visit. We will absolutely. Absolutely. That's a given. I also played a game. I want to say I played this super deep, crunchy strategy game. No, I'm just kidding. I played Flux for the first time. (laughs) That's great. Which is super silly because you would think that I would have absolutely played Flux, being that I love card games. And Flux has been around for freaking ever. Forever. But there's a bajillion card games. So it doesn't surprise me because you keep getting all these other cool things to play. Oh, well, I mean, it, yeah, it's not like Team EFG has a shortage of stuff. But still, <laughs> one would think True. that given seven plus years of playing board games that I would have gotten into the table once. However... I kind of like it, guys. So the theme that I played, this is the real story for this one. It the is. theme that I played is Mary Engelbright Flux. Now, people listening would be like, Steve, why do you have Mary Engelbright, Mary Engelbright Flux? Well, I'll tell you, folks, I don't. I bought it for my mom. Now, my mother who you can listen to on a Mother's Day episode a long time back. Just look like just look for the one that says mom. And I, for once we were, it's not me. <laughs> and for once it's not Linda. It is in fact actually my mom. We did a whole drive from the shore of Connecticut to New Hampshire and we recorded a podcast talking about her history playing games and mine. It's a it was a great time. She has loved Mary Engelbright for as long as I have been alive, I believe. It feels like 
probably not literally, but Mar- Marion Gilbride is an artist. And if you don't know who she is, Google it up. It's not that hard. She has a very distinctive art style. And so this game is Mary Englebright fairy tales. And so it's the standard Grimm's fairy tale stuff. And you're playing Flux and she did all the art or the art of, was taken from other things of hers. I'm sure some of it's original. I don't know. Flux is really fun, guys. Essentially, it is a card game where on your turn, you at the beginning of the game, you play, you draw a card and you play a card. But the idea is you play as you play cards, you're changing the rules. So, for example, at one point, I played a card that said you draw five cards. (laughs) And then on my next turn, I played a card that said you play all but one of your cards. And so you draw five and you must play out four. And it and then my mom was like, this is obnoxious. I don't want to do that. I only want to play two cards. And she changed the rule. And you keep going until you have the appropriate win conditions in your hand. It's that simple or not in your hand in played out in front of you. That's it is right. that simple. It is super easy to play it's a game you can play while you're having a conversation this is a very very friendly party game in that a bunch of people can play and it's super casual and you can play while talking and snacking and whatever and even if literally you lose all the cards because you're being silly flux decks are like 10 bucks and so this is Super cute, super fun. And the reason I am excited about Mary Englebright Flux is it is absolute proof that there is a flux for everybody. It's true. Yep. So if that card game sounds cool, but you're like, you know, Mary Englebright, that's that's not my jam. Maybe the X-Men are your jam. Maybe Doctor Who is your jam. Maybe the uh, I mean, there's everything. Pirates, There's an ninjas. ecology one where you get yeah. to learn about the environment, which is pretty cool. Yeah, no, they've they've gone nuts. So they you really can have. find it. So just go to the internet, and this is how we found it. My son went to a Boy Scout camp out, and he played Pirate Flux, and he came home and was like, "Yo, guys, can we get Flux? Because I liked it." And we went to the Amazons, and I saw Mary Englebright Flux, and was like, "Must buy." Oh, got it from my got it from my mother. Gave it to her in February for her birthday. And then we didn't get a chance to play it with her until the power outage when we were all forced to stop our quarantine. So we could we we mutually decided that uh, not having power was more uh, was riskier to our health than being near each other. So we played a card game. So Mary Engelblad Flux is and thus Flux itself. Very, very cool and very, very cheap. We're talking like 10 bucks unless it's out of print or something like that. True. Yep. So that's around the horn. That's pretty good. Drop it. Edge of darkness. Mary Angle Bright Flux. We're we're covering all our bases. I like it. (laughs) So let's get into our topic. So we published this list that Linda made. Yes, it is a it is a serious list. It is. It was hard to curate it, actually, because it was so going through it because there's such a huge range of kinds of board games. And within the family, what you have on your shelf for the three year old is not the same thing you have on your shelf for the 15 year old. It was hard to curate and get something that was kind of all inclusive. So I really tried to look at a range of ages too. So it's one of those 
you know, kind of take a nod to the different age dynamics that you may have within a family. Yeah. So it was it was challenging to try to keep that in mind and also you nailed you know, it. Thank you. This was a lot of work. It was a labor of love. Yes. So. And we're going to talk about it now. So hopefully people will go look at it. So this was our philosophy when we made the EFG Essentials, like the brand within our brand, right? EFG Essentials are not, and I want to make this very clear, this is not the best 25 board games we have ever played. These are 25 games, and this is the same on the consoles. These are games that we would recommend to anyone. That if someone came up to us and we knew really nothing about them, and they just said, hey, recommend us some board games, these are 25 games that we would pretty much universally recommend. Yes. Not That means some of these might not be for you, and that's okay. I am comfortable saying that everyone will find something on this list that they like. And I would bet real good that... So, you know, one of these games is probably in everybody's top five because these are a lot of very good games. So I thought we would just kind of go through the list. It's a long one, but it's fine. We're, we, we can go quick. Let's just go through the whole let's just go through the whole thing okay. and just and just do it. I'm going to start because it starts with one of my favorite games of all time. And I'm the host, so I can just start. And that means we started with Ticket to Ride because, of course, we started with Ticket to of Ride. Of course we did. You have to. It is the quintessential <laughs> board game that you have to have on any essentials list mm-hmm. it really correct. is correct so that i started with it there really isn't much to say about it ticket to ride is what it is if you listen to this podcast more likely than not you have heard of it i'm going to tell you this now i see this in the board game groups that all three of us are in where people are like all right ticket to ride like i'm still on the fence like you should not be on the fence about ticket to ride <laughs> ticket to ride is an immaculate game Trains sound boring. It's boring until somebody buys that route between Houston and whatever is next. This game is strategic. It is competitive. It is fun. It gets real. It gets real, man. It really does. It gets really and, dicey. And if yeah. you get crazy into it and play through one map to the point where it's kind of stale, fine. Buy another map. There are probably more than a dozen at this point. I find that if you want to get real advanced with yourself, you should get Heart of Africa. Because Heart of Africa is very hard. So that's Ticket to Ride. Eight plus, two to five players. It is on sale everywhere, literally. Yeah, it's really good. This was the first game that came to mind when Linda made this list. It's the first one. It's the starting point, and it had to be the first one on the list. So that is Ticket to Ride. Linda. Yes. So the next one on the list is another one that really was one of the first when I started going down the rabbit hole of board games. It was one of the first ones that I got to know, and that is Sushi Go. And this is another one that it's if you're looking for a card drafting style game, this is the perfect starting point. It's a different kind of game than a lot of people coming into the gaming genre are used to playing, but it's so approachable. It, it's that n- another gateway. It's another bridge to learning a different way to play games. And True. you can't, you can't beat the art is like the cutest thing. It's a fun theme. And the original one is so portable. It's one of those, you can stick it in the backpack and bring it pretty much anywhere. Mm-hmm. So it, it's just the, the must buy. It's another eight plus two to five players for the original version. There are now the Sushi Go Party, which uh, plays, I think, is it up to eight people? It's, it's up, up to eight, eight people, players. Yeah. Eight, and it has and then, 
It has some extra rules or whatever, but a few things. And then now they've put out Sushi Roll, which is not portable. Now that game is much larger, but it's the same premise only with dice. So they've taken this concept and have evolved it to kind of the next stage. But this is such a great starting place and it's so approachable. And it's, I mean, right now it's under $10 on Amazon. So it's something that it's an inexpensive buy as well. This is the kind of game you could very easily, you know, your kid is going away to, you know, summer camp, something like that. I mean, when that happens again, you know, when the Fire Nation goes away. It's not attacking. Is when the Fire Nation is not attacking. This is the kind of game that maybe you don't want to give away your copy. That's fine. Just buy an extra because it's less than $10. And if it gets lost under a cabin or a bunk, who cares? But this is easy to teach. Also, if you are really into drafting games and maybe you don't own Sushi Go because it's, you know, this is a really great, very easy and accessible way to teach people how to do card drafting to the point Uh, where if they've never drafted, I think personally, it is faster to teach them how to play Sushi Go than it is to explain how drafting works. I think you're absolutely right. This was this was the first drafting game I ever played. Mm -hmm. And I remember the very, very first time it was explained being very confused because it it was a completely foreign concept to me. But within one game, I was I had mastered the concept. Is it did I have the infinite co-host teach you Sushi Go, though, the first time? No, no, I think Jenna taught me. All right. So that's fine. So the infinite co-host, Amanda, is my brother. He referred to that was the nickname he gave himself. And I just decided not to argue with him. He he has a very specific way of teaching Sushi Go, which is kind of like a robot. And you either were 100 percent down and picked up what he was putting down immediately or you quit board games for life. That was just there was no there was no middle ground. Well, Linda, I mean, I've met your brother. Yes, I'm not surprised, but oh, my. (laughs) Yeah, there was no middle ground. So anyway, this is Sushi Go. I I truthfully believe Sushi Go is the fastest and most efficient way to teach people how to draft. And so just just do that rather than explaining drafting mechanics in another game. It'd be like, it's like Sushi Go, only this is what you do. It's so much easier. So, Amanda, you got the next one. All right, let me double check what the next one is. I actually have never played this game. I don't know. Pick right. just scroll scroll down until you've. Pit- okay, 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 okay. I've got one. I definitely have got one. I I have played, however, King Domino. Oof. This one, this game, is a huge hit in this household. This was one of the first real strategy games that my kiddos played because they got they got so into like laying the tiles out and figuring out the best strategy for the game that they would just like, oh, no, 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 I don't, uh, okay, I didn't do it right this game. Uh, Can we play again? You know, and it was one of those things where it was just like, okay, now we're playing Infinite King Domino, which there are worse things. And it's it's another drafting game. It's a very different kind of drafting game, but it is a drafting game. So they have to create like these five by five kingdoms in King Domino and the goal is that they need to have the largest bit of terrain, I guess. I like it was what they want to build was, large contiguous biomes. Yeah, the biomes. That's what it was. So they needed to have like lakes and forests and, and fields and whatever. And and yeah, so at the end of the game, when you have that five by five set of land, 
you go ahead and you calculate the points out to see how many crown icons are in that little bit of land. It it honestly it doesn't take like any time at all to play. I think that we played in like fifteen minutes. Super fast. It's very Super fast. It is fast, and it's another one that it's light but not really it is but it's got this layer to it that's right so it's it's the kind of game where it is deceptively complex just like drop it drop it is another deceptive it's like i love deceptively complex games and i love them for video games as well where it's like okay i can get into this gameplay loop really easily but mastering the gameplay loop Mm -hmm. that's the hard part and i love games like that i love games that just get me in there get me going and i'm like oh really go on i like you Absolutely. Well, and this is what makes it a great family game, because when you have a six-year-old sitting in front of you, the rules are easy. Yeah, So they can master it. But then, you know, you still have a challenge if you have a 15-year-old or if you have, you know, multi-generational sitting around the table playing. It's something that keeps people interested because there's more than just that superficial layer. Uh, also, true. the domino pieces are really cool. They did that. That is also fantastic. Just like whatever. Is gorgeous. Uh, I'm just going to roll with that. It is a Spiel de Jar winner for a reason. Man, King Domino is good. All right. So I'll talk about Quicks because I have played Quicks. I love roll and write games. And Quicks is a roll and write game. It's OK. So it people are going to look at this and be like, oh, it's just Yahtzee. It's not actually Yahtzee. You roll a bunch of dice and write stuff down. But it is definitely strategy. There's definitely strategy to it. You have six dice of different colors, and you know, on a given turn, the active player rolls and announces the total of the two white dice and all the players. Basically, so I'm rolling, but on my turn, you guys all do stuff. And that's actually really cool, because in a lot of games, when it's not your turn, you have nothing to do. But in this one, you are always doing something, even if you're not rolling the dice. And so you basically get to choose are you're going to mark off, you know, a spot on your sheet or and you basically mark off a spot on your sheet with that number or not. And by the end of the game, what you're trying to do is mark off more numbers. And so the more you mark off, the more you score. So if there's 10 and you can mark off seven of them, then you get more points than other people. The key is if you go high, then you can't go lower again. So you have to really make a choice. This is such a cool game. Linda, they showed this to us at Toy Fair a couple of years ago, right? It was the giant version. There was like a a big version with the white and said, yeah, so it was the like a specialized version. And so they had the dry erase boards for scoring and so it was sort of like a deluxe. It was the deluxe version, I believe, that we saw. Um, Yes. But this one it's it's so great and it's it's neat like you said once you go to a certain you know once you mark it off you can't go backwards so that's it adds again more strategy than you would necessarily think at first glance absolutely and again uh, one of my favorite things about it is that everyone is doing something on every turn right and that is a very big deal because man it's especially unique, with younger kids yeah. especially with kids when it's not their turn they disengage they start talking to the you know their neighbor about minecraft or leave the table you know because kids are kids and so keeping them engaged is great linda why don't you tell us about the next one okay the next one we have is forbidden island and this is one that is a must-have for everybody because it is the quintessential i'm going to say this word again cooperative game 
So the premise is you are on an island that is sinking and you're trying to get the heli- to the helicopter before too much of the island has sunk into the water. And you have to gather different artifacts and get them to the, to the helicopter. This is such a great game for families because you can scale it a bit because it's cooperative. You have open conversations about what you're going to do on each turn. It really builds it out and can help bring younger players or players that have never had experience with this kind of game kind of carry them along by supporting them as you go and it's just it's such a fun game another one with the artwork is is beautiful um the cards the tile cards are double-sided so you have the like the standard picture that looks kind of like a normal piece of the island and then on the reverse side there's a blue tint to the picture to represent that it is flooded and then if that location floods another time the card is removed and that part of the island is lost and it's you know as you lay them down the the tiles are laid out randomly so the replayability on this is extremely high Um, and you can also scale difficulty yeah i'll be honest i've only played it on the easiest setting and still have failed multiple times but if it's something that you feel like you're really getting the flow of it and it's almost getting too easy you can ratchet up the difficulty on it and really challenge yourself even more which is amazing that it's got such flexibility i've never done that i've never no i'm I'm really bad at this game but i love it i've only done it once and i immediately regretted it so like it, it. This game's hard. Let's yes. be real. This game is. This game is hard. It's also a game that works for kids that are early readers. So Vivi played this game um, when she was like five. I think that was the first time that she played. And Viv's about. To, Viv's gonna turn eight in December. Okay. So she did. Like we don't play this game as much anymore because yeah. you know there are a lot of other games that have our attention. But this was really great for her to understand strategy and to understand how to be cooperative or when she's playing like Forbidden Island, which is a different variation on or sorry, Forbidden Desert, which Mm -hmm. is a different variation on Forbidden Island, Um, like hoarding the water and making sure that everyone else dies. I mean, like, that's a choice, I guess. I don't love the choice. It is. But but that's Vivian the Anarchist. That's just who she is. And you got to support her. They can. This also gives kids a chance to try something different in a safe space mm-hmm, if they want to just you know like see what happens if I don't do this thing to help the other player and you know it, it's it's a safe way to play around with those natural consequences Absolutely. in that way and the other neat thing with this game and you've mentioned it Amanda is this is the beginning of a trilogy they basically yeah. tells a story so you have Forbidden Island where you're escaping the flooding island in a helicopter and then you land in the desert and that's the next game that they put out was Forbidden Desert. Yes. and Which is okay. harder, by the it way. It is absolutely harder. That was actually the first one I played. I didn't play Forbidden Island first. I played Forbidden Desert. Oh, I'm so sorry. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> we, we lost horribly, but we had a fun time. Which is a sign of a good game when you lose a cooperative game and are like, that was so much fun. Let's do it again. And we have another one that's going to be coming up next on the list that it is, it's the same kind same. of thing or it's really yep. fun to lose. Yep. And they put out, I think it was a year or two ago, the third chapter of this trilogy was Forbidden Sky. So it takes the ending from Forbidden Desert and brings it up into the sky. And that one is just such a neat concept where you're trying to basically close the circuit to turn the rocket on. Um, so that's just a neat spin. But they've done a great job to build this up and to really make it a... a 
quite a suite of games. So right, I'm Steve, waiting for take- I'm waiting for Forbidden Peaks. Personally, that's my prediction. I think the next one's going to be a mountain. So I feel like they have to make a fourth one, right? I don't know. Feels Start designing, like it, maybe they'll it. buy it. Yeah, uh, we've we've discussed Pitch this. It. Uh, we we've discussed this. Uh, making games is hard, and for smart people, and that and is, that is not me. So I'll talk about pandemic. Let's just let's just do it. Let's just rip the bandaid right off and talk Go about pandemic it. in the middle of the Fire Nation attacking. Pandemic is freaking great. It sounds way darker than it actually is, and legit, I apologize. <laughs> But it's but the reality is it is very any of the the dark stuff about all that is super abstracted because it's all cubes on a map. This is a really cool game. Two to four players. You take on roles like a medic, a dispatcher. There's a whole bunch of different stuff. And the idea is you're traveling around the world in it and working together to save humanity from four simultaneous uh, pandemics. And that's important, not just one, four. That's why it's not the same thing. So this was one of the first games that I played. The first one, the very first like real game that I played, quote unquote, was Ticket to Ride. Almost immediately after that, we pulled out Pandemic and I absolutely love this game. It is super cool. There are a whole bunch of different versions of it. So if you play this one, which is available at Target. Including Legacy. Well, that's what I was going to say. There's even Legacy versions, which take, if you really feel like you're really comfortable with the pandemic rule set and you feel like you want to put stickers on the board and tear cards up based on your performance, then you can get the Legacy. And there's actually a narrative. And there's a new version coming out that is a prequel to Season 1, which is Season 0, set during the Cold War. Oh, wow. Which the the black ops of Pandemic. I am a huge fan of this. I, this game had to be on here. This, again, was when we were just throwing spaghetti at the wall as far as what board games to put on this list. The only question mark was maybe it might have been a little bit dark. But for me, this is one of those games I'm comfortable playing this with all ages because everybody knows who a doctor is. Mm-hmm. Everybody and everybody knows who uh, researchers are, mm-hmm. and this really and for me, there is no better game that illustrates how important it is for everyone to either work closely together or follow instructions in order to save the world. And if everybody does that, then you win. And it's true. Um, also, I love the map. I absolutely the map love is the map. Amazing. Uh, The only thing the only thing about this game that I have a tendency to not love is the quarterbacking tendency where you have a player that is maybe just a little bit louder than everybody else and is like, no, my ideas are the best. I'm going to plan out all the turns forever. Just watch for that. In in the sense that, you know, you don't be that person. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's and that's true for any cooperative game. True that you might have one person that takes points to yes. a detriment. Yes, it's just I have found that more so in in Pandemic than in a number of different cooperative board games. I don't know what it is about Pandemic, but folks get like we're all going to die, and then they just need to take over. <laughs> so I think so. For me, I have some theories on it. I think part of that is. Because you can count cards. Mm. Because 
the and this is some some deep stuff here, but because you can look at the deck and kind of count cards, you can figure out, you know, somebody who's really good at that knows, okay, on your turn, these cards are going to come up on your turn. These are going to come up. And so people who are good at doing that or think they're good at it <laughs> um, are and and who have that forceful personality are 100 percent just going to kind of roll with it. But right. Just as a group, you got to not allow that. And one way to do that is to just not play with your cards revealed <laughs> and, you know, just make it so that you're you, you got to do things a little bit differently. And that's fine. You can do it. It's true. So, Linda, tell us a little bit about Suro. All right. Suro. So this is an absolutely gorgeous game. And in this one, you are playing a flying dragon and you are moving along the path and the path is being built at each turn. After you place a tile, which is a piece of the path, you have to follow it until it gets to the end and you've hit an empty space, basically. Here's the thing, though. If you go to the perimeter of the board, you're out. So you have to really plan your turns as much as you can, but you don't have a lot of choice. You only have three tiles in your hand to choose from. Exactly. So it's, it's really limiting on your choices. So there's a lot of strategy, a lot of planning um, I'm, I have to say this game is very hard for me. I am not good at visualizing. So a lot of times I'm holding it. I'm trying to like see where I could go and I'm looking at the tile and turning the tile and like trying to do it subtly and not show what I have. Um, it's really hard, but it's another, again, another one. This is the, the running theme. It is easy to learn and hard to master. And I love that with this game because it's one that I can show to almost anyone. It takes a few minutes to explain the game, but it has got a lot of strategy and a lot of options as far as you have to make decisions every turn. Is this going to put me where I want? Am I going to collide into another dragon? Am I going to get knocked off the board if I put it here? Are they? Can they then put a tile down that's going to mess me up the next turn so right. there's a lot to it and just the, the art on it is beautiful the little dragon um, meeples that they've got little figures are just they're subtle but they're really cool looking yeah absolutely it's a really pretty game i've only played it once and i was awful at it um and we were just borrowing the game so we had to give it back <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so, as long as they've expanded on that and they've had other versions too. Yeah, absolutely. All right, I'll take next because this one was my kind of rather forceful addition to the list. And I'll talk about Tenzi. So Tenzi, it doesn't get a lot of play on like bigger board game sites, but Tenzi is a simultaneous play dice rolling game. You get your 10 dice and there's a whole bunch of different ways to play them. Traditionally, you are you are trying to roll. You have your 10 dice and you're trying to roll to get all 10 of them under the same number. So you can roll as many times as you want, but... Once you re-roll them, you can't get the old roll back. So this is that if you have a bunch of kids that want to play Wizards when they play Dungeons and Dragons, they get to do this and roll 10 dice at a time. And it's chaos and it's loud. But there's actually a book of like 150 ways to play Tenzi. And there's really infinite Pinterest boards. Yeah. At the end of the day, this is just a big stack of 40 D6. <laughs> and they come in goofy colors. And I... We found this at like an, a, a, a bougie toy store near the beach 
And we brought this home because it looked fun. And our son, who I think Evan must have been maybe four or five when we got this, was he liked seeing all the dice. And obviously I did. And so and now it's it, we talk about it all the time or we you know, we play it a lot. And yeah, so. And we've played it, obviously, with Linda's kids, and it has infected their home. And now so, we have dice and, everywhere. <laughs> and now there's just dice everywhere. And now they play Dungeons and Dragons, so, like, there's just infinite There's definitely dice, dice everywhere. <laughs> That's Tenzi. So this is the game. If your kids have always wanted to be wizards, Tenzi is the game for them. That sounds really cool. Yeah. So... Amanda. Yes. Let's talk about Exploding Kittens. This is another one of those games that some people are going to be like, really? Why'd you put Exploding Kittens on there? And Amanda, you're going to tell us why. I am definitely going to tell us why, because this game is heckin' cute. That's why. Mm -hmm. Um, It is probably one of the silliest games I've ever played with my kids. I've also played other games from the oatmeal, including Throw Throw Burrito. That doesn't go very well. Don't no, play really- throw throw burrito. Just don't oh, do it. We, Hold we on. have. We have. Throw throw burrito. I want to get the deluxe version that is extra. That's designed specifically for outside. And it has. We found it has oversized burritos. This is bad. Oh this is bad. My kids. So when you get idea. this. My kids when you get up. that, we must videotape this. It must be oh. a YouTube. Yeah, that oh, yeah, must absolutely. be. That's a TikTok right there. Um, um, okay. So anyway, regardless, um, Exploding Kittens was one of the first games that the Oatmeal did as a board game. So Exploding Kittens is pretty much exactly as it sounds. Um, you have to have you you need to not explode kittens like the the aim of the game is to not explode essentially so you play as many cards as you want they are silly and you are trying to collect you know uh, a number of different cats like there's taco cat and beard cat Uh, there's a bunch of other cats in there and it is ridiculous but the aim of the game is like you're trying to defuse these cats as you go, there's like a there's like three or four exploding kittens in the deck, depending on how many players you have. So if you pull the exploding kitten, sometimes you'll have a card that will allow you to defuse that cat. Sometimes you won't, and you'll just explode and you'll be out of the game. And it's the last cat standing that wins. <laughs> it's ridiculous. It, it's it really is raucous, ridiculous. It's rowdy. <laughs> You know, it is not the game to play with your kids before you go to bed. Correct. This is a midday game, not a night. Not a nighttime. <laughs> this is not a nighttime game. You're right. You're you are correct. Extremely not a nighttime game. It's yes. it's ridiculous. It's fun and it's ridiculous. So, Linda. Yes. You put a whole bunch of games for the younger crowd on here. And by younger crowd, we mean the much younger crowd. Why don't you kind of whip through some of the younger the uh, younger crowd games for us? Okay. So I went to, wanted to try to get in some things that were for late preschoolers and those beginning readers, those kids that are just starting school or just about to start school. So we have something games like Rhino Hero, and that one's for ages five and up, and that's a 3D stacking game. And so you're using the cards, these 3D cards, to build a tower. And it's one of those, it's very basic 
there's not a ton of rules and you're just trying to use the appropriate card to build up and the game ends very simply when the tower falls or if a player places the last roof card and all the or if every wall gets built up so there's three win condition or end conditions and it's a co-op uh, it's a competitive game so you are trying to be the one that finishes it off um, and not knock the tower down so it's an interesting game it's fun for everyone to play but it's gauge for the littler kids the pieces are big and chunky so it definitely suits younger hands um that's one that is by haba they just do amazing games for the little littles and there's a reason we have a couple haba games on here the next one i put on is kind of i think it's the one that people know the best from haba for the very young children mm-hmm. and that's animal upon animal and that one is for ages four and up. And they actually have a younger version of like a My First for Animal Upon Animal that's for even younger with chunkier pieces. But this one is another dexterity game. If you're stacking wooden animals, there's a die that the children roll or the players roll. And depending on what shows on the die tells you what you have to do, whether it's place one animal, place two, if you have to put something on the base. So it there's a few different things to do. So it has, again, this is another one. There's a little more than you think. It's not just stacking animals. There's that die roll that makes it have a little more variety. So it, it's for those really little kids, a lot of time the games for the adults playing with them, they're just so arduous. There's just not much to it. They I mean, like, I mean, I know like there's the, the, the joke about Candyland, but it's like, there are this, takes the idea of something that is so simple and approachable to a young child, but it makes it have a little bit more interest. I mean, it's it's no, you know, high-level, deep, crunchy Euro game, but it's like if you want to sit and play with your child or your grandchild or your niece or your nephew, it's something that is, you know, going to keep the adult at least moderately entertained. It's not so arduous for someone playing with the young child. Um, sure. And that's the nice part of these games. Yeah, I haven't had a, I haven't had the opportunity to play this game, but it is much beloved in my household. I know that Mike and Danielle played it with Paul and Grace when they were little, and I know that James played it with our little kids. I haven't played it because I'll just sit back and I'll watch because I'm like I'm terrible at dexterity. Oh, I'm terrible at dexterity games too. The kids usually beat me. It's hysterical. The next one I've got for the littles is this is uh, the favorite in my house. Um, it even beats out Animal Upon Animal. And that is Hiss. And this is, it's a tile laying game and it is literally just building snakes. And it's for four and up, but this even scales down. I played this with my niece who was three and, you know, we ended up kind of, she played it great. And then, you know, being three, we ended up playing her version. So it was adorable. But what it is, is there's different color pieces of snake. So it's color matching, which is perfect for that age to learn color matching. And you're trying to build a complete snake. It has to have a head. It has to have a middle section for body, at least one, and a tail. And even a three or four-year-old understands the pieces needed to build a complete snake. And so it's just practicing that color matching. And it's cute. The artwork is adorable. It's super, super simple. And this has been played so many times by um, my kids. And when they were littler, they were bringing it all the time to play with friends because they could they could teach their friends in like a couple minutes and just play. So this is this is a fantastic one for little, little, littles. 
Um, and let's see, I've got two more for the little littles. Um, sneaky Snacky Squirrel. This is for even younger. This is for three and up. This is another matching game. And what is cool with this one is it's got these squirrel tweezers. And fine motor development is something that a lot of young children struggle with. And so by having to use the tweezers to pick up the acorns for the squirrel, it really is going to start strengthening those hand muscles that can be a challenge to have enough activities that naturally build that strength for young children. Um, so the idea is there's a spinner and it dictates the color acorn you take or there's a couple other events that can occur. A storm can blow the acorns down. And so there's a few other, again, same thing. There's not just, it's not a spinner and then you just take a color. There could be other things that happen. Very simple things, but it just makes it just that little bit more engaging for everyone that's playing. Um, so that one is super cute. Again, it's got the color matching and it's got the nice kinesthetic piece to it. Um, and the last one is a perfect game for little kids to have the, kind of their first cooperative game. And that is Hoot Owl Hoot. Oh, I'm excited about this one. I haven't heard anything about it, and it looks adorable. It is so stinking cute. So this is one that the the group, the players are all trying to work to bring the owls back to their nest before sunrise. It is so sweet. Mm. I love the theme. It's Peaceable Kingdom. They do such a great job of just making these like super wholesome, adorable, just really sweet games for the little kids. And so there is at as you go through, you hit certain markers, the sun moves a little more. So you're trying to beat the sun. And so you might not get back to the nest before the sun rises. And it's okay, just you don't win. Um, but it's a cute, gentle theme. There's color cards for moving to the spaces. So again, another one perfect for young children with the color matching. And it's just just so, so adorable. And again, it's, it's a nice first way to introduce cooperative games. So, so those are my game collection of things that are great for the little ones. And I find myself recommending these so many times to, um, you know, people are looking like, what can I play with my kids? They don't want to play Candyland. They don't want to play, you know, like they don't want those, you know, kind of old, you know, traditional games because yeah. they're, they're so dry. And this yeah. at least is something that... It, you know, it can be more engaging for the whole family. I remember sitting and playing Hoot Owl Hoot for the first time, and there were two adults playing it with the kids. Oh, that's so great. It was so sweet. And, like, it was fun. Again, it's simple. These games for the little kids, you know, of course, they're very simple. They have to be. But yeah. you want something that will engage them. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, that's so cute. I love it so much. Oh, yes. No, but, I mean, that's... It's nice to be able to have things that you can, you know, get those little, little kids going with. And it's, it's important because if you want your, if you want your little kiddos to be interested in board games and they get older, I mean, you got to start somewhere. Absolutely. So true. All right. Do we want to go with the, the silliest game on this list? I think. <laughs> I feel like it's a must. Like we, we absolutely have to. So as much as Exploding Kittens is ridiculous, Happy Salmon and Funky Chip Chicken have got to be the most ridiculous game on, well, games, because they are two separate games, technically. Um, they are the most ridiculous ones on this list. Um, they are considered a party game. And they are two standalone games. We did try mixing them once. It makes the game too long. It is possible, but it's not recommended. But right. it's just so 
so silly. The only downside, and this is like the smallest downside in the absolute world, is you have to have the right space to play because you have to be able to be up and moving and everybody reach the the be able to reach each other. So okay. that's the only limitation on this really is space. And we were really fortunate when we got to play this for the first time. I have a small square table on my porch, which is the perfect size because you can everybody can reach across it. And that's really what you need. This is something you probably play on a tray table. Oh, okay. So, but it's just a matter of having the space. Um, Makes sense. Yeah, it's. But this is so silly. Um, I'm. If anyone's listened to the podcast before, you probably have heard about these. We talk about these all the time. It's true. It's so true. But just like the the quick elevator pitch. So, with Happy Salmon and Funky Chicken, with each of these games, there are four moves in the deck. And the idea is every player is dealt a hand of cards and uh, you deal cards basically to yourself and you're calling out what that card is. So it might be um, high five or pound it or switcheroo or happy salmon. And you're saying it and you might repeat it a few times that if nobody matches you, you put it back in your deck and you draw another card. You're just trying to find a match. When somebody else matches it, you discard the card onto the table. First person to run out of cards wins. Super easy premise. It really is. I like it. Absolutely. And it is, we all know that I'm a fan of absurdity. (laughs) It's true. You are a huge fan of absurdity. So true. And that's what this game is really all about. We're going to mix it up a little bit. I'm going to talk about Saikatsu, which is arguably the most beautiful video game, or not video game, board (laughs) game. Can you tell I've been doing a lot of video game podcasts recently? a little bit arguably the most beautiful board game I have ever played in my entire life. And it's not close. Um, Have you ever played Saikatsu, Amanda? I have not. There are a number of games on here that I've never played before, so I'm learning. We are going to teach you. Teach me things. All right. So Saikatsu. This is Pitch Amanda on more board games to buy. Listen, uh, if you if you decide to use the Amazon links, so I will the okay. so here's how Saikatsu works. It's a three player game. And so each player sits on each player sits on a one side of a big koi pond. And the idea is that you are actually it's not a koi pond. It's like a valley or something. And what you are doing is you are laying out you are laying out these chips that are birds. And the idea is you earn points based on there's different color birds. And so basically you earn points for every kind of bird that is, you know, if you put down a red bird and you put it down you get points for all of the birds that are next to it. Right. Mm -hmm. So, and you know, in a continuous line. Now, the other thing is these tiles also have circles of flowers on them. And so what happens is in the first part of the game, you earn points based on the birds that you put down at the end of the game. You point from your perspective on the board because your perspective actually matters. And the way that the, the empty slots are is there's a series of lines that go across the board. I believe there's seven. Mm-hmm. And you go through each of those seven boards. And from there, you earn points based on how many of the matching circles of flowers you get into each of your rows. So okay. 
you got to earn points in the beginning by matching up the birds, but then you also need to get the uh, get your circles down. And I so am you want going to have to buy this game. This game is absolute. Also, uh, there is a super cute version that is cats and dogs. Oh, so if you want chibi stuff. Oh, you know, I do. You know, my feelings. Then if you want chibi, chibi stuff, which, yes, then that is super cute. This is an absolutely gorgeous game. It's I loaned it to a friend and I am happy that I'm getting it back soon. So, so, Amanda, that's so funny. Mine's out loaned as well. Well, I mean, there's such good game. It's such it's, it really it's also really good. It's also it's quick to teach. It's fun. It, it is fun to play. And again, I am not joking when I say that it is easily the most beautiful board game I have ever played. And it is not close. You'll see in a moment. Oh, no, I've already seen. I went right. and I clicked that Amazon link because I think I'm gonna buy it. Yeah, yeah, it's good. It's, it's good. so good. You want it. It's good. All right. So, Amanda, you're going to talk about, man, one of my favorite games of all time, I think. Well, OK, so let's let's hope that I do it some justice, because I really like engine building games, as we both know. And I know you love engine building games, too, which is why our board game tastes are like usually deeply meshed. This so, is one of the reasons why we are very good friends. Very true. Linda we, just puts up with me. <laughs> Linda is great. That's why she is the mistress of magnificence. Um, okay, so Splendor. Splendor is really interesting. I, I pl- I've played this with the little ones a number of times, and they are absolutely enamored with this game because it's, again, it's one of those games where it is really easy to learn, it's very easy to teach, and it is extremely difficult to master. And it's really, really, really hard to start building that engine. So it's it's one of those games where like you have a bunch of gems in front of you and you have a bunch of gems at the beginning of the game and you're like, all right, so check it out. Here we go. Can only buy the gems in the first row. And so we buy the gems in the first row and we start buying the gems in the second row. And we go on and we go on and we go on. And the the longer that you play a game like Splendor, the more magnificent, because I have to use the word magnificent, I have, I have Lindinger. <laughs> Um, you know, you are, so it is, so they're, they're not, they're not gems. You're trying to buy the gems essentially. And the, it's, it, it doesn't, it doesn't feel like it's got much substance to it, but it's one of those games that's fairly quick to play depending on the number of players that you have. And it's just, I don't know. It's a ridiculously approachable engine building game that doesn't require a ton of investment to learn. But you'll you'll find yourself in that loop of, but I want to play it again. I can do better next time. I, Yeah, I get this now. I'm going to do this again. And then you employ different strategies and you try to figure out like, okay, well, if I buy this one, but not this one, I can get to the middle faster, which means that I can get to that top row faster, which means that I could win this game faster. So that's, anyways, that's Splendor. Splendor is super cool. I love Splendor with all my heart. So Steve, do you want to add more to that? No, oh, you you pretty much hit the nail on the head. I found this game by accident, <laughs> and it quickly became one of my favorite games. I talk about it a lot, 
and I recommend it to almost anyone. Uh, you are right. I do love engine building games, so I am predisposed to liking it. But man, is it fun. It is. And there's I'm an on. expansion. I'm on board, did man. You, did you know that there's Marvel Splendor? coming out I later on this year. I did know. Yes, that looks awesome. That really looks like fun. I was like, did they decide to just make a game for me? They were just like, you know what? You know who deserves his own version of Splendor? Just for Steve. Just for Steve. Steve. Just for Steve. I, I, I question Steve. what I, I mean, I'm glad that they do. I question what I did to deserve it, but I'm going to take my rewards. Take it and run. Exactly. Take it and run. I'm going to take, wow. take it and run. So... All right, Linda, how about how about you tell us about Evolution, the game that I made you play and you ended up accidentally liking it? I did. This was a oh, my goodness. This was a long time ago. This was very early on. Um, was so this before this, you started working here? Oh, well before. This is, I think, before I became a super fan even. So Evolution, the beginning, I purposely specified the beginning version. There are several versions of Evolution. The regular Evolution version is more complicated so depending on where you're at as a gamer if you want something that's more entry level more of a bridge into the genre evolution the beginning is definitely the way to go um this one is for ages eight and up whereas the other ones the other versions i believe are 10 or 12 and up at least they definitely are much more complicated so this one it takes a lot of what's in the main version and it streamlines it so in evolution you are trying to build creatures with various traits and every round every turn animals need to be fed and so you need to make sure all your animals can be fed or they go extinct and so you're trying it's another engine building so you're trying to go through and build these creatures that can be sustained through the different resources available at that point. Um, this is one that I liked way more than I ever expected to. My kids enjoy way more than I expected them to. It just really clicked for them. And they love being able to build these traits and customize their animal. And if you build a carnivore, obviously carnivores have to eat <laughs> other creatures. They love being able to be like, my carnivore is going to have your creature. And oh, Oh yeah, it can, it can get a little bit cutthroat, but it's it's in a way that like it's fun, I, you know. It's like it's lighthearted. The artwork on it is absolutely gorgeous, and because it's just literally like taking cards away. If you have a carnivore eat, it's nothing gruesome. It's it's something very. It ends up being light because the cards just go away. It's not a big deal. Fair enough. Um, but it's it's just a fun game. We did play the full evolution version, and. It's it's neat to see what adds on. Again, it's like kind of the next step if you go that way. And then they've also also have an expansion flight. Again, this is based on the full game, not the beginnings game. There's a climate version, and then they just put out oceans, which it, these all are just beautiful games. The theme is just fantastic, and these are great. They can actually cross over for people that are uh, parents that are looking for something for their older elementary, middle, or high schooler that gets in that science element too. So it's got a nice kind of cross section it hits absolutely awesome. and the oceans one actually has fantasy elements because it has like krakens and stuff that's cool which is kind of yeah. neat okay so, so we're almost at the end what do you we're have cruising towards the Just end so yep. how about this i'm going to talk about roll for it because this was one of the first games that i ever really covered as a board game writer i've encountered it while i was at 
excuse me, uh, while I was at New York Toy Fair for the very first time. And so roll for it. It's a dice and card game. Basically, there are cards out on the middle of the table. You roll your dice. You have your dice. You roll it. And you then attempt to claim or partially claim the cards in front of you. Mm-hmm. Let's say there's five sixes on one of the cards. You roll three sixes. You can put three sixes on that card. Now, the the trick is... Once you put it on that card, you can't move. It's it's hard to move them. I don't think you can move them, actually. Can you, Linda? So the way we play it, we play like standard rules and standard rules. You cannot take them back. But there is a variant where at the be as your turn, you can just take your dice back. So there is okay. a way to do it. But that we tend to play once you place your dice, it is there until the card is gone. OK, got it. So those Makes higher sense. so the higher point cards use more dice. So if you're trying to go big and bid on those higher value cards, you're committing more dice to that card. So it's a bigger risk. Okay. Yeah, so, pretty much. Yeah. That's and cool. for a simple game, it's again, it's got a little bit, there's a little bit more, it's a very simplistic game, but it's got that little bit more to it. Absolutely. There's a lot of game here. This is another one where uh, there's a red box and a purple box. They are the same game. They're just different colored dice. The idea is if you get two of them, you can mix them and it turns it into an eight player game. Got it. Which I thought was fascinating because it never occurred to me you could do that. That's cool. And yeah, it makes it just really approachable for a big group, too. I'll have to check that out. Oh, yeah. You would your group would like this game. I believe I know you. that you would. <laughs> Linda, you have been preaching the gospel of Sky Joe. Uh, I want to hear about this one. Yeah, tell me more. So I feel like I'm recommending this all the time because it hits so many buttons and it fills so many niches in a game that's $15. It is a that's really it? simple game. It's it's so cheap. It is just a deck of cards. I mean, it's not a standard deck, obviously, but this is a set collection game. What's cool is this game is for two to eight players. Really? Um, So which makes it unique, especially being an inexpensive game. The other thing is it says it's eight and up. It It can scale down as long as the child playing can do basic addition to 12. They can if they can understand numbers to 12 and it does have negative one and negative two. But even a first grader understands takeaway one, takeaway two. It's true. So it scales down really nicely to, a, I would say, about kindergarten, first grade, depending on their number sense. So what this is, at the beginning of to set up the game, 16 cards are dealt face down to each player. Okay. okay so you have a grid of, up, of upside down cards. And so at the very beginning, you reveal two of your cards. And this is a game where you are trying to get the lowest score. So what you're trying to do is trade out the high value cards for lower value cards. And that's all it is. So on your turn, you can draw from the draw pile. You can draw from the discard pile if a card that you need happens to be there. And you're going to try to switch out cards. It's a risk, though. So I can say, well, I see I have a 12 showing. I can trade it out for a three. And I can trade out things I know. Or maybe I see, oh, there's a four in the discard pile. That's a pretty low number. So I'm going to take that. I'm going to flip a card I don't know. I'm going to take a chance. And maybe it's a higher value card. And maybe it's a lower value card. So it's a chance I'm taking. And when a player reveals all 16 of their cards, that's the end of the round. Everyone gets to finish that round. 
and the goal is to have the lowest score. The game ends, though, in it's a multiple round game. The game ends when somebody reaches 100 points. So it's got this neat kind of other element to it. Okay. Um, we also have scaled it for the kids. If they're done in two rounds and we haven't hit 100 points, we just stop. And I like that it has this natural break point that, you know, maybe we're not going to play to 100. Maybe we'll just play two rounds and be done. And so that's it, fair. Sometimes that's, kids can't sit still that long. Right. And depending on how the cards play out, getting to 100 points can take a little bit. Sure. I mean, never, never too long for us as adults. We've never run into that as adults playing it. But for kids, you know, they hit their time limit and that's fine. You know, we can say, okay, we'll finish this round and then the game's done. And there, it's a nice, it gives a lot of opportunity for modification. This is one because of the player count. It is got really simple rules. It's inexpensive. This ends up being one that I recommend. I feel like I recommend it every month to somebody on some Facebook group that's looking for a game for a certain niche. And it's like, this is such a great game because it fits so many of those categories. So I, I pre Steve's right. I do like, I rave about this game. I feel like I'm single-handedly promoting this game for everyone out there. <laughs> I love that. I will have to check that out because that yeah. sounds extremely up my alley. Yes, yeah. you will. All right. I'm going to talk about King of Tokyo. Uh, we talked about Yahtzee before, right? Yes. Before, um, no, we didn't. Did we talk about Yahtzee? That's how, I've I never, I have never heard of this Yahtzee game in my life. We've talked about Yahtzee before. People are familiar with Yahtzee. What if Yahtzee, but with kaiju? What if Yahtzee, but with kaiju? Yeah, he, seriously, this is essentially Yahtzee with kaiju, and I, it, it's amazing. Okay. So here's how it works. Basically, you are a kaiju. And they're all legally distinct from other kaiju. I am being very specific when I say that because, you know, there's Godzilla, but it's not really Godzilla. You know, there's, you know, King Kong, but not really King Kong. There's a robot bunny. It gets a little wild up in there. And so the idea is you're trying to destroy Tokyo because, of course, you are. And the idea is you're rolling the dice. And depending on what you get, you are either healing yourself, earning new powers or attacking everyone that is not where you are. And your choices are you either are in Tokyo, at which point you are the one person in Tokyo or you are literally everyone else. And so if you're in Tokyo, everyone is attacking you. But if you're in Tokyo, you're attacking everyone else. And so what you're doing, you're trying to earn victory points and you can earn victory points. You either need to earn enough victory points. I think it's 20 or you need to be the last man standing. The base version without any like there's an expansion where you can get superpowers and stuff. But the base version is pretty much Yahtzee with just a few additional rules and these really cool standees for the different monsters. And I recommend this to a lot of folks because it is just so cool, you know? And who doesn't like being King Kong and fighting a giant cybernetic bunny? I've never met a human that wouldn't enjoy that. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, it's King of Tokyo. It's what if Yahtzee, but with kaiju. And to be fair, it is slightly more complicated than Yahtzee, but not that much. Cool. Yeah. It's a pretty cool game. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And I'm just going to do two in a row. We're getting close to the end here. I'm going to talk about Letter Tycoon, so I'm not going to let Linda do it. Letter Tycoon. (laughs) You won't let me steal it. Letter Tycoon is 
awesome. Okay, Letter Tycoon is awesome. I mean, have you ever played Letter Tycoon? I have not. Do you like Brand word games? It. I love word games. What if a word game, you know, you're playing cards, making words, there's a shared tableau, you have to make words based on the cards in your hand, there's some deck building elements, but what if you spent the money that you earned making words to buy the patent on letters so that every time other people use those letters, you made money? That that does sound appealing. Awesome. Also, it looks like it looks like something you'd find in an antique shop in like a tin box. I absolutely love this game. It's for breaking games. It is so good. It really is. I'm not a big fan of letter games and I like this game. Cool. This is one of the, like my first my favorite game ever. It is not anymore. It's been unseated by other games. However, Letter Tycoon will forever hold a special place in my heart. When the Fire Nation stops attacking and we have board game a palooza, I will bring Letter Tycoon and you will understand. I am very excited about this. This game does sound very much so up my alley because I loved letter games. Oh, it's so good. It is so very, very good. Linda, tell us about Ice Cool. <laughs> Ice Cool. Okay. So another light, fun dexterity game. So Ice Cool is a dexterity game with the school theme of penguins in a frozen high school. And they're trying to go through the halls and gather fish. But they have to watch out for the hall monitor trying to catch them. And that is pretty much the summary of the game. So you're literally flicking with your fingers these little penguins from room to room and moving them around. And it is so fun and so silly. And what's even better is you're not limited to keeping them on the board if you can manage it. I have never succeeded in this, but the kids have. You can send the penguins over top of the walls and like hop the walls. And that is a legal move. And it's just, it's so much fun. Um, I'm so bad at this game. I'm terrible. It's it's comically bad. Um, But what's cool is, with Ice Cool, there is the original version and they have made Ice Cool 2, which has a few other little elements to it but our favorite thing about it is you can combine them to make one massive game Mm -hmm. and it's really fun there's multiple ways to set it up it's just a really fun game it's one that the kids our box is getting beat up the kids have brought it to so many friends houses to play and have taken it out so many times pre-fire nation attacking when we had people over it's just it's like people ah people <laughs> but it's just it's so much fun. That's awesome. Yeah. Another light and silly one. Absolutely. Light and silly is good. So, Amanda. Yes. You've played Dragoon before. I have played Dragoon many times. How did you know? Because we 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 talked about it. It's true we have talked no, about still, it. You, no, Steve, you got to say I'm that good. That's the answer because I'm that good. It's worth mentioning. It's worth mentioning, guys. You know that's not my brand. That's true. I have a brand to maintain. (laughs) What even? I don't even know how to deal with that. Okay. Are you going to tell me I'm wrong? I'm... I mean, it's, it would be my brand to tell you that you're wrong. <laughs> That's true. That is true. There are facts. All right. So tell us about tell us about Dragoon. Okay. So the first thing the first thing that I have to tell you about Dragoon is that this game is the prettiest game. That is, it is like deceptively beautiful, and it is a very tactile experience because these 
like if you if you have the metal version of it and you have the little metal tokens they're so pretty and they're so they're so good to hold i don't know i'm a very tactile person so i just like touching things so i really i really like the way the game looks i really like the way the game feels so i haven't had a chance to play this game in quite some time because of course just like video games board games move fast. This is another game that is really easy to jump into, but it has a deep strategy to it. There are only, there are like what, three different phases to around? Yeah, there's three different phases to around. There is the populate phase, which is where you get to determine, you roll a couple of dice and you get to determine where the population tiles will be placed on like the six by six board. Um, we have, we have the map essentially. Uh, and then there is the action phase where the player takes a turn moving around the board and taking all three of their actions because each player gets three actions. And then there's the tribute phase, which is where each player, um, with the tribute phase is where the territory that each player has claimed has a chance to pay off for them essentially and gives them, you know, like whatever is in the territory. So the goal of Dragoon is to hoard the most gold. I love that theme. Just that's, I love the dragon theme. <laughs> it's so good. And you need to be the first player to accumulate more than 50 gold at the end of the turn. So you move around the map, you claim you claim settlements, you destroy settlements. It's it's really interesting because like it moves really it moves back and forth between players really fast, where you're just like, okay, I've got that one. Oh no, but that's mine. But actually that's mine. No, I'm gonna burn that to the ground. How do you like that? And you know, you kind of go around the board like that a number of times. And it is it's it's really good. It's it's crunchy. It's crunchy in the sense that it can get really deep really fast. So play with caution, I suppose, with little ones. But ultimately, I really, really like Dragoon. I should go back and play it again. It is really good. I think you're right, though. It's not for the little littles. It's definitely for the older set of children for the most part. But, oh, it's so good. It's so pretty. And such cool pieces to it. It does. It's like, it's a deeply tactile game. I just, I adore that. Yeah, they've Absolutely. got the great kinesthetic part to it. Yup. All right. So, I think that's everything. We have one left if we want to hit oh, that. Do it. All right, Labyrinth. So, this is a maze game where the maze is ever-changing. So, with Labyrinth... Players are trying to move and collect different treasures within the the labyrinth, the maze, and but the only thing is, every turn, the player alters the board. So there is a new tile. So at the end of their turn, a pl the player slides in a new piece of the tile, and it pushes out an, an old tile, and that goes back into kind of the, the pool. And so. You can't plan too far ahead. If you're trying to get to a certain treasure, the board changes with every player's turn. So it adds this really tricky inconsistency. Everything's just, it's, it's changing every turn. It only changes a little, but it can change just enough to really mess you up. And what's really cool with this game, it's been around for quite a while. It's got rules in it. They've built in rules that you can scale it down for younger players. 
and you can scale it up for more advanced players. So it gives you a lot of versatility within a pretty straightforward game. Um, and it's just got some really cool art to it, a really cool look. And it's one that you can also get on an app. So if you like this kind of tile laying and this perpetually moving board, you can also play it um, on mobile, which is kind of a fun spin. And I feel like this is was the first one we saw. And then we've had more maze games with this a labyrinth type theme that have come since. That is correct. So Very cool. I know it was kind of short and sweet, but no, it's great. That's great. So, guys, All right. that is 25 it. games. We did it. 25 <laughs> games. We Ooh. did it. I knew we could do it. Took a little longer than normal, but that is a-okay. So everybody listen, we just went through the essential board games for families, according to Linda and the EFG staff. The plan is that these were published on July 1st. So in October, on October 1st, we're going to publish a new list, which is basically just an update to this one in case we found anything else that knocks this out. So stay tuned when we come back. Don't worry, we'll go over the whole thing again, but we'll definitely go over changes if any games kind of take over. And we know I know we've already found some candidates to kind of move stuff around. We're doing the same thing with the video games. And yes, there have been some video games that came out in the last couple of months that are going to rock the whole universe. So Amanda and Linda, thank you for joining me today on episode 230 of the Engaged Family Gaming Podcast. Would you believe we actually made that happen? We did it. We did. It was amazing. (laughs) So, everybody, thank you very much for listening. I hope you enjoyed listening as much as we enjoyed recording it. I have one favor. I'll keep it brief. We need reviews. I have not really gone out of my way to request them. And as we discussed on the video game podcast last week, that was a tactical error because it turns out is the number one thing that impacts visibility is the number and the quality of the reviews. So if you could go to whatever podcast platform you have access to and throw a review out, maybe give us five stars or alternatively give us five stars. I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to be ethical here, but you know, help us out because more people, more reviews means more audience means bigger, cooler things that we can do. And we'd love to give you guys more access to more and more interesting things. So Amanda, Linda, thank you for being here this week. We will be back next week for video games where Amanda and I get to recap the opening night of Gamescom that would have been in Cologne, Germany, but now it's just everywhere on the internet. Yay! Woohoo! And probably some other stuff because we there's no chill in the video game space right now. So everybody, you have yourself a wonderful night. We will be back next time, and until then, don't forget to get your family game on. We'll talk to you soon. Bye!